Welcome to The Trail Ahead, conversations at the intersection of race, environment, history, culture, and the outdoors. We're your hosts, Faith and Addie. We bring on folks from all walks of life to have real, authentic, messy dialogue that can lead to tangible change. I think for me as a Black woman, and this has a lot of caveats and uh, cushion around it, but like being outside is one of the places that I feel most free in my own body. Like me as an individual, being outside is like where I get to feel like the edges of my freedom as a person in this world. Our guest this week is Grace Anderson, someone that I would love to describe as a feeler, a thinker, and a healer, who is deeply connected with herself the natural world around her, and who truly walks the walk when it comes to community care. I can't remember when we first came across each other via the interwebs, but I do know that she immediately felt like someone with a deep understanding of how we might ask the right questions in our work related to a better future for people and planet. It's an honor to have her join us as our first guest for season three of The Trail Ahead. Awesome. Well, hello, Grace, our guest this week. We are so excited to have you on the Trail Ahead podcast. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Excited to be here with you, too. Yeah. And we, we got to see you recently doing some biking down in and around the Oakland area where you live, which was really wonderful. It was a very cute time. I It was really good to get back out on my bike, uh, especially after all the rain. I really enjoyed that. Yes. Yeah. You hit some, some muddy, muddy areas as well on the trails. (laughs) Well, cool. We kind of like to start every interview. um, Well, with a few things. One, it's funny because I, I remember that we've been kind of in community through the various outdoor and environmental and justice movements that overlap. And so we've been in community together, but the first like real thing I remember is when we were on that panel together and before the panel were having a conversation about our bios and then after the fact um decided to go through this exercise like and not even in person like virtually of rewriting our bios and deciding to like take out all of these I don't know markers of professionalism or things that kind of <laughs> were supposed to represent who we are, and I just oh, love that. You, I didn't know that. Faith <laughs> talks about that all the time. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, but so with that, our our rewritten bios in mind. Do you want to introduce yourself and however you're feeling today? What you'd like to share? yeah I yeah I appreciate you recalling that and bringing it up like that because I yeah not only do I feel like I'm constantly changing and how I identify what's up for me is different every day I just want to stop using the markers that like are of whiteness like in the outdoor world to like prove myself as like I should be on this podcast or you should want to talk to me I've done these things um so thank you for recalling that uh today um yeah, how am I identifying and what's important to include today? Um, I'm Black, I'm queer, I identify as a woman. Um, I live in Oakland, California, the traditional homelands of the Ohlone people. I'm an auntie today. My uh, niece and nephew are visiting from Virginia for their spring break, and so I have them for the week. And so I'm definitely feeling some auntie energy 
Um, I am a cyclist. I, I'm a big dreamer. I love reading. I really love eating. I think eating it and thinking about eating is like 85% of my personality these days. Uh, I love to like build community around food. I love to build community outside. Um, I'm staring at this painting that I just got because I really love a design and like how design interacts with, um, feelings of like comfort and rest and inclusion uh so really into design uh currently i'm a consultant um i work independently which is really lovely and definitely has increased my capacity and bandwidth <laughs> to work on justice and outdoor oriented work yeah those are that's what's up for me today it's lovely i love that yeah i like all those different energies um including auntie energy. I love some good auntie energy myself. Mm, full in it right now. It's so cool to hear, yeah, the origin of, of this shift in bio and introduction because Grace, Faith told me about this a really long time ago. And when we introduced ourselves, we did like a season two opener. So this is season three, which is very exciting. We did a season two conversation just between Faith and I. And I think both of us introduce ourselves, or at least for me, I introduce myself in a completely different way, having heard your wisdom around this, frankly. So it's very cool to shift to feel like I think, I, you know, I was really feeling that day things around my family and like being a sister, being mm -hmm. a daughter. What does it mean to be a sister to two siblings that I don't live close to? And so it really yeah. resonates to hear that. Uh, the the auntie energy this week for you is strong <laughs> yeah and I'm so glad that you all um that resonated with you all and I think I started doing it faith if I'm remembering correctly I remember we were in the pandemic because we were definitely on zoom for that panel and the pandemic has flattened so much in my head around hierarchy and just like who we are in relationship to our work um, because I think at that point in, in the pandemic, like I had been on calls with folks who were like pretty high up in their organizations that I was just like always kind of nervous to be on the phone with. And then I saw like one of these people was like a director of something at this big organization and their kids was just like launching blocks in the background. I was like, oh, right. You're at home too, <laughs> like trying to figure this shit out. Your kids in the background, like losing it. And like, it just like flattened my understanding of like people and the positions that we hold and so I was like oh what else do I like want to bring into my conversations because like who I like what I do for work is like such a small part of who I am as a person and just wanting to connect more with people about like the identities that they hold that makes them want to do the work um, and informs how they think about it is really important for me totally yeah no I, I love that too I think it is I, there's increasingly like it's like you have to prove why you're in a room um, right. or why you're on a trail, like all of it, that there's right. this like, proof of experience that, you know, is a resume in these various forms. I love and I think it's so interesting how you brought up the whiteness in that. I think it's something that maybe would sound jarring to so many people, but I think when we're talking about understanding that we live in a culture where a lot of the systems were determined by, you know, historically white male and moneyed individuals mm -hmm. um, who also not only created the systems, but had access to the ways to succeed within them. Um, right, right. That if we hold ourselves to those standards, like, A, we are 
giving credence and value to those systems, even in the right. way that they were created. And then also we're saying like that that is the way to value ourselves. Um, exactly. Yeah, but it is it is so difficult to, I think, like um, decolonize a mindset around that. And I think it's something I think of a lot. Even for us recently, we like hired someone to, to join the team for the trail ahead and like just even thinking about um, hiring practices as someone that was then mm. reading through cover letters and looking at resumes. And it was something that I and I talked a lot about where I was like, wow, like I'm, tr- I'm kind of warring with internally all of the things that I've been told I should be looking for at, right. as like markers of success. And then what I feel and what is coming out for me when I read these and what is Mm -hmm. resonating with me and even trying to figure out like which things are resonating like what for what reasons and how to even like internally figure out I've been thinking a lot about that because I've grown up in so many historically white spaces and learned those rules so well right yeah Right. And one other thing, like, uh, you reminded me that another reason I wanted to stop, like, pointing to certain things in my bio is because, yeah, and I'm just, Faith, I'm sure you've had this experience, too. Like, I think folks are looking to me, like, yeah, how do we build a career that we're really, like, excited and passionate about? And, like, as I'm listing the things that I've done to get to where I'm at, like, I never want to say who knows to people of color that these are the ways to do them. And also that these experiences were great. Like, if I look at my resume and if I point to some of the environmental organizations that I've had to work at, like, some of them were awful. And I don't want anyone to look or, like, hear me talk about these things. And I don't have the capacity or space to detail my experience at them and just like like go into them like being like oh well grace did it uh, so it must have been a good experience or like I know these black women that have had like have worked at this organization or done this fellowship program um, I just want more time to explain it to folks of color so it's not like oh yeah I am endorsing this organization by no means like I am I endorsing a lot of the experiences that I've had to go through um, so I wanted to stop doing it for that reason as well like I don't want to continue to endorse organizations that don't support us like and that we have like really toxic and harmful experiences at and it's expected that we do them like for gatekeeping purposes um it's another reason I wanted to like move away from talking about myself and my work like that Mm, yeah no that makes a lot of sense and I and I feel like also some of the experiences don't feel approachable and so if it seems like you have to have had those same experiences in order to get to this kind of career or this mm-hmm. version of success, then it's like, well, I'm not going to do that. So I can't, you know, um, right, right. have that. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, and it's also about like who defines success and like, can we right. change that? Can we welcome more people into the space? Like that's the whole point of this whole media series is talking to more people. And, you know, it's like the whole in front of the lens, behind the lens or in front of the mic, behind the mic, I guess you could also say sort of like, right. what does our team look like? What do we want to start to model And certainly as a white woman, I want to, you know, we talk a lot, Faith and I, and with our guests talk a lot about stepping aside or passing the mic or making space, holding the door open. Like, how can I start to change those definitions, those standards of success, like creating spaces for folks to 
you know, start to obviously enter into outdoor spaces or experience things that they have not in the past or have not been invited to experience or have not felt welcome experiencing, but also like creating those sort of and changing those quote definitions of success in those spaces, which I think is like up to all of us as change makers to do that. And especially I think I feel a responsibility as someone who's been privileged to have seen people look like me in these spaces to like step aside, very intentionally step aside and say, hey, (laughs) like, it's not for me to do this anymore. Like, I want to welcome more folks in. And that is like a real Mm -hmm. theory of change for me. Like, how can I create that change in these conversations or in this media series as well? Yeah, I think we go back a lot to the conversation we had with Jose Gonzalez about what power are you willing to hold on to and what power are you willing to give up? And I think another thing in that is also like, what systems are you fighting for, even if they don't serve you? Like, I think, you know, with whiteness, right, like a lot of white women were not privileged either in these historic systems as they were created, and yet (laughs) are often fighting for the upholding of these systems. And it's like, you know, if we go back to everything from equal pay and things like that, it's like white women still aren't making equal pay. Like, you know, they should be fighting for these things, but it's something like these values. Like I was reading The Color, Color of Law not that long ago and realizing that even like this concept of home ownership um, comes out of such like colonial and white supremacist values. And I was like, whoa, like I didn't even know that. Uh, So it's just, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think about how deep it is and to think about like when you, when you do find yourself having a visceral response to something that you think is being attacked, like even trying to figure out just like searching yourself and being like, hold on, like, why is my response like this? And if it's like, oh yeah, it is super valid that that, that things shouldn't be happening or like, oh, I don't actually know, you know, it's yeah, hard to do, but very fascinating. Ooh, thanks yeah, for bringing all that up. That. Yeah, yeah I, like, um, I'm just okay, talking now, but like, yeah, there's just so much. There's so much in that. That's so fascinating. How about when we say playing outside? What is what does that make you think of? Where do you go? Um, where do I go? Uh, I it's uh, so I don't know when this shift started to happen um, for me, but being outside has just completely shifted over the last, like, I would say, so I started loosely in the environmental outdoor space when I, in college. So like a decade ago. Um, and I think like most of my twenties, I'm 33 now, but most of my twenties were spent like the outdoors is where I work and where I educate. And it is a place for me to facilitate experiences for others. Um, at some point over like the last I can think like three years maybe like around burnout um around facilitating outdoor experiences for others and working for like really large white institutions that had like a conquering um perspective around being outside I was just like wait a minute like (laughs) this isn't how I want to be outside and I think for me as a black woman um and this has a lot of caveats and uh, cushion around it but like being outside is one of the places that I feel most free in my own body like me as an individual being outside is like where I get to feel 
like the edges of my freedom as a person in this world like and of course that goes with like or comes with like the the fear that has been instilled um around like outdoor spaces as a black person like very much like the location um where enslaved people were forced to work um where enslaved people were running towards freedom in and like chased um through wilderness areas and um so it definitely comes with all that baggage but I um had this experience a few years ago like I only bike so that I can go up hills and then ride down them really fast uh, like I love going downhill really fast it's one of my greatest pleasures in this life um and I was just like giggling my face off as I was like gliding down this hill it's hawk hill and the Marin headlands and so it's a pretty steep incline just to get this like ridiculous um descent um like along the water it's ridiculous like it's pretty quintessential like california coast and you're like just coasting down and i was just like giggling and like also feeling like i was like oh do my brakes work um but like in that moment i like just felt limitless like like no one could touch me like i think of like me like when I'm like giggling and laughing a lot as like one of my indicators of freedom in this lifetime I'm like oh if I'm experiencing like this much laughter and joy like I know this is like what freedom must feel like um and so I was just like laughing so hard and like testing my brakes and just like having the time of my life coming off the hill and I feel like for me like playing outside at this point in my life just feels like feeling free and like giggly and like with people that I really want to be with I think when I had, when I was like instructing, um, like courses for Knowles, like I was often like the only black person often, I mean, <laughs> like it would be, it was a very rare experience that I wasn't the only black person. Um, and then like very few folks of color. And so I was just outside with people like with very different class backgrounds than me, like very different lived experiences than me. And it felt, it was very much like work and it wasn't, um, an experience of like joyful community outside and so now like outside is like with people that I love dearly and outside it's just like a backdrop to like the experience of connecting with people that I love and eating really good food um, it looks like picnics and it looks like bike rides it looks like just like laying like a starfish in the grass yeah the outdoors have become much more playful now um, and I definitely am still like I really like to be alone outside. I'm often like, okay, like where do I not travel by myself? For example, like when I drive to Yosemite by myself, like there are some pockets where you're like, okay, that's a lot of Confederate flags and not Confederate flags aren't always a marker. Um, aren't the only marker of like hostility that I see in this world. Like I think there's so many invisible, like quote unquote invisible markers of like hostility that I see along the way. But I'm like, okay, th I'm seeing a lot of Confederate flags. I'm seeing a lot of support for political candidates that want to erase me and um, my history and people. And so it's not without a lot of baggage of being outside. But um, even with that, I think it's like one of the places that I feel most free. Um, yeah, that feels like a rambly answer, but... <laughs> Hopefully there's something in there that makes sense. No, it wasn't rambly. It was like so mm -hmm. visual and visceral. I feel like we got to go a lot of places with you in that, which is so nice. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm just laughing because I feel like when we were with you, you also were testing your brakes. <laughs> oh, always. <laughs> I have, a, yeah, as Faith said, a great picture of you climbing this hill and then riding down the other side, laughing and smiling and 
Yeah, maybe like having a little question about the brake functionality. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is like so symbolic of just how I am outside generally. Like I think I often yeah. get myself into these part of my personality that like I love the most. And also I'm like, maybe we should spend some time journaling about this is that um, I love to get into situations like I don't like to put that much thought into like adventures that I want to do. I'm like, okay, I've got food. I've got some cash. I know how to fix things on my bike. Let's go do it. Um, and I feel that I approach a lot of adventures in that way, which I really love. And I also like, oh, like testing my brakes also just seems so like pushing against the like container that I put around me. I'm like, okay, is this safe? Like, I didn't really think about it that much, but I think I'm okay. And like me testing the brakes along the way is like actually symbolic of just how I operate in this world generally. Um yeah, I don't like to overthink. I think that allows me to stay like open and free and curious. Um, and so I think, yeah, as you were repeating that back to me, I was like, oh, maybe that's <laughs> it's I do that biking, but I kind of do that in every aspect of my life of like just like gliding down hills and like gently testing. I'm like, does this still work? Am I good? <laughs> Along the way. Yeah, maybe it's emblematic of more of a way that you are in the outdoors. I love that. As many of you know, the trail ahead would not be possible without a series of road trips that Addie and I take to meet our guests in person. For our first season, we actually traveled together with our whole crew on the road for three weeks. That's why it's so fitting that one of our season partners is Subaru. To record our first three episodes this season, I actually packed up my stuff into a Subaru Outback Wilderness and headed out on what became a 1,300-mile road trip from Portland, Oregon to the Bay Area to even more northern California through the Wedwoods, along the NorCal coast, and finally back home to Oregon. Not only did I drive through stunning views, I also got rain and snow along the way. Luckily, with the Outback Wilderness off-road all-terrain tires, as well as nine and a half inches of road clearance, I've been able to easily navigate all the obstacles I've encountered. And in between recording episodes, Addie and I had some fun adventures. Throughout this season, we'll be sharing some of our adventures in the ultimate tool for outdoor fun and exploration, the Subaru Outback Wilderness. A huge thank you to our friends at Subaru. On the note of cycling, I was curious to hear more about how you started biking, how cycling came into your life and, and how you found that sport. Yeah, passion. I am. Um... Passion is a better word. Passion. Uh, yeah, I I think it first started um, when I moved to the Bay. So I was living in Wyoming for a while. And then I moved to San Francisco. And I saw so many people commuting by bike. Like It's a pretty solid place to bike around. Um, it has some pretty good bike infrastructure. So I saw a lot of folks biking around. I was like, oh, well, I want to bike commute too. Um, and at this point, I'm like, oh, maybe it's because I, I thought it was like environmentally friendly. But I think it was just cute and cool. And I was like, oh, I'm trying to be like most people. <laughs> like want to be cute and cool out on these streets. Um, and so I got a bike. Um, and started riding it around the city just to commute and such. Um, and then I forget when this happened, but I saw someone with like a fully loaded bike. And I was like, oh, wait, what are you doing? And like, where are you going? And I think I approached them and just asked. Um, and that led me down the road of like bike packing and like bike touring um, and doing like 
or various things on your bike in addition to commuting by it. Um, but my first intro was just like watching commuters around San Francisco and wanting to do that. Um, and then in like 2014 or 15, when I started at the Sierra Club, which had been like my first like in the office job that I had, I was like, oh, I should like celebrate this loss of freedom by like doing my first like solo bike tour. And so I was like, I can bike down the coast of California. So I biked, or not the full coast of California, but um, I biked from San Francisco to Monterey by myself because I was like, oh, well, I have a bike now and I got some paneers. Um, didn't know anything about like fixing my bike, but again, we're back to that personality trait. Um, but I was like, oh, it'll be fine and packed up a bike and biked by myself to Monterey. And it was the best. Like I took the one the whole way down. And so I'm just alongside the ocean. And then, yeah, I know I was giggling the whole time. Um, and just like camped along the way and like did it in two days and had someone meet me in Monterey and they drove me home. But ever since then, um, just have been really into bikes. And I think I really love being alone, um, like just as an introvert and just someone I just there's so much going on in my head that I feel like I love to need the time alone. Um, cycling for me is like one of the things I can just pick up and do by myself. Like I don't have to ask anyone to like belay me or spot me. It's just me and a bike. Um, and I'm also someone, yeah, who just like needs a lot of time to like process and take things in. Um, and slowing down on a bike is my favorite. Um, it just like forces me to notice, um, and see the world in such a different way. Um, and so, yeah, commuting was my first, uh, entry into biking and now um like to experience them in a lot of different ways man i love hearing about so much of that and it also it's just strike it strikes me as being so brave and i'm curious like i don't know what you think about that i think there's so many things culturally for us not only as women but also as a black woman to i don't know be afraid for many really valid reasons to do things um by yourself how do you how do you like either muster that bravery or is it just in you or do you I don't know seek out the places where it feels like it's an okay place yeah I'm just so curious yeah it's such an interesting question because um I was just I went on a group ride this weekend with this group in the bay area that does um like group ride and activities around bikes. Um, and I was telling someone that I go camping by myself and bike pack by myself. And they're like, Oh, that's so brave. And for me, like it feels more me stepping out of my comfort zone looks like going on a group ride. And I like, I'm like, Oh, me being by myself. Like this is so known and so comfortable to me that like the thought of including other people in it is like what feels brave or like, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to join this thing with people. I don't know. feels like more bravery. And I think, um, some of the reasons that it does, and I, yeah, I think it's brave. It may like be perceived as brave to other people. And I recognize that, but for me, it just feels like who I am and what I want. Like I, well, I think part of it is um, like as a black woman, I didn't, wasn't introduced to other black folks in the outdoors or just didn't know them growing up. And so I would much rather be alone on my bike than like be in a group of people who don't reflect me 
um, and aren't having similar experiences in this world and to pretend like I'm having fun with that. Like I think the experience of being on my bike is so personal and so intimate that I want to be with people um, who just like have a similar like lived experience and like orientation towards like joyfulness that I think only can come if you are a black person in this world and have to like deal with everything else. Um, like all the systems that like weigh down on us on a day-to-day basis. Like the joy that I feel as a black person is just like so sweet and unique and like hard fought for. Um, and I think that's who I want to be outside with. And so I think part of it is like not having that community early on. I just started to do things by myself. Um, and I, I am living in a world where like, I'm often like, I don't, I don't think this world, this world was not specific, more specifically this society, the U in the U S like, I don't think there are many things that were built to support black women thriving or even surviving. And so I feel like doing things out by outside by myself is like how I fortify myself. I'm like, girl, you know how to do this. Like I know how to like, be in the wilderness for extended periods of time by myself. And that like is so fortifying for me. And just a reminder of like my deep sense of like knowing and capabilities in this world. Um, And I like to hold on to that, like very like closely, like, and it helps me like navigate the world um, like more confidently and more like sure-footedly. So we do it alone for that reason too. Um, and yeah, I think the skill set. So some of my experiences that I've had, like in the outdoor world specifically, like I worked at Knowles and I did the whole Knowles world because I really wanted a really strong technical background in the outdoors. And so I got to be in the wilderness for like 30 days at a time um, and develop some like hard, like some technical skills around like, yeah, camp setup and like how to like care for and cook for myself and like be a, be in like extreme conditions for long periods of time. So I'm also able to do it because I just have had that like strong foundation of like, this is how you do it. Um, and how to do it like quote unquote comfortably for like long periods of time. So that definitely supports me in like being out and like feeling like, Oh, I can do this alone. Cause like, I like have a lot of knowledge around like what to do if I get in a sticky situation or like, how did it just like survive comfortably outside? So for me and my body and like brain, it doesn't feel brave um, necessarily. It just feels like, oh, this is just who I am and how I like, how I like to experience the world. Not necessarily solo, but like, um, I, yeah, I think another part of it is like, oh, I don't want to have to wait to like make plans. And I am very, very, very impulsive, like very impulsive. And so it'll often be like, oh, tomorrow I'm going to do this trip. And like the kind of like energy I have around that, like, isn't conducive to group travel. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, it's a combination of things um, that allows me to like, do those things alone um, and feel really confident um, and excited about it. I love hearing just your thoughts on like what is brave um, and how that differs from different people. And one of the things that you said that as, as a black woman also just resonates so much is how hard fought that joy and freedom is. And I think it's something that I, feel like 
not just the freedom, but I think what you said is actually how hard fought that joy in being black is. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Like you very early grounded yourself in that identity as um, a black queer woman. Um, And it's interesting. I think, you know, I'll speak a little bit from my experience, but it really, once I started reading black queer women, I feel like my sense of self just like blossomed in an entirely different way. But it's something that like, I I feel like it's really hard to explain um, why it's so important to be so proud of being black. I think in for like, for the purposes of competence, for the purposes of like, you know, not only doing work that's specifically around race and justice and um but for like the bigger picture of continuing to see the disparity so that it not disparity is like such a fucking understatement like yeah the violence and the um disenfranchisement that still looms so large in our communities in so many ways and it's and I don't want that to be the full story um, which I think is what, you know, in many ways leads me to being a, a story sharer. But I think it's it's hard to explain, you know, particularly in when a lot of the work in the outdoors is in his, historically and still the dominant culture is that there's going to be majority white people there in those spaces. And it's just, um, I think it's something that I, I still, not that I think we constantly have to be explaining ourselves, but I still want it to be understood and maybe even yeah. like it does bring me back to Lucille Clifton like won't you celebrate with me that yeah. I've like been able yeah. to become this proud despite all yeah. of the messages that tell me I right. fucking shouldn't be you know right yeah I mean in a in a country where black folks were enslaved um and brought into this country for the purpose of forced labor um I think that as our starting point, um, not our starting point as Black people, but like our starting point of the history that is told about Black people in this country, um, like any opportunity we get to subvert the understanding of that history and like challenge that history and narrative um, and like resist it and keep living is like cause for celebration and joy. Like I, I think so much about like, just like about the generations before me are like two generations up. Like thinking about my mother who like had to work so hard to raise five kids, like on such a limited income. Um, and like any opportunity that I get to like create space for leisure in her life. And like, every time I feel leisure in my life, like I know that like, it was so hard to fight for and like to be in this place where I can experience that. Um, oh, what's this person's name? Uh, the person who wrote uh, How We Get Free, um, Black Feminism, a book on Black Feminism. Um, their doctor, their name is um, Dr. Kianga Yamada Taylor. Um, yeah, Kambaya River Collective. Yeah, they wrote, mm-hmm. if Black women were free, it would mean that everyone else would have to be free since our freedom would necessitate the destruction 
of all the systems of oppression. And I keep that quote on my laptop because I think um, specifically as black women, like the ways that the different, different oppressions like work and intersect to oppress us, like racism, homophobia, um, sexism, like just misogyny, um, police violence, state violence, like all the ways that we are oppressed are like, systems work t- to try to oppress us as black women like any way that we get to like find joy and subvert them are just like cause for celebration and joy um, and they're coming at us constantly like uh it's like and thinking about in my own experience like looking for an apartment in Oakland like how hard that is to do as a black woman who's single like just the shit I come up against about just like assumptions about who I am about how much money I make about like, the the stories that have gotten me to where I am at and thinking about it and how I look for work and how I'm thought about and just like walking around outside and like my own safety as a black woman in this world. And so um, I like am a deep believer and chaser of ways to like subvert every type of system um, and oppression that is put on me in this world, because something that I love about abolition and abolition work is like, Oh, right. This, this like system was not created for me. So like, what do I need to create in order to survive um, and in order to thrive? And so I get so much joy from like doing like literally everything that's not expected of me. Like, I'm not going to work in the ways you think I should work. I'm not going to love in the ways you think I should love. Like, I'm just going to blow it all up and like find happiness and like the destruction of these systems. Like I think, uh, like, yeah, if I had to put a visual to it, it's like black women like dancing on like the destruction of the all the systems that exist in the United States, like all the systemic and institutionalized ways that like are trying to tamper our joy and lives and like happiness in this world. I think abolition just creates that space to dream. It's like, oh, this isn't working for us, so we have to create something different. And what is that thing that we can create? Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It's such a, I have so many like big thoughts and I like, it actually makes me want to sit down and write it out because I like can feel it and I know it like somewhere to you, Faith, like we know it and like how to articulate it, I think like sometimes still escapes me. Um, But I think that's my work. Like I've been thinking, I think about what I want to do in this lifetime, given some of the space and opportunities that I have. Um, and I think it is creating more opportunities and like just a container and like shelter for other black folks, um, to take risk and to subvert, um, specifically the ways that we work in their lifetime. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your thinking around that. Yeah. I want to also link out to how we get free in the Kambahi River Collective as well, because I that's been a really formative piece of reading for me and, and education for myself as well. So I think our listeners, I would encourage listeners to go check that out because I think it's um, a very important piece and thematic area as well as grace you're like i feel like if anyone can articulate this you as the writer that you are and the communicator that you are can so if if we encourage like if we after this you want to go you know you're you're energized to go right like that's then we've done yeah. our job on the podcast yeah. that's awesome. i think i will be writing after this and another piece of another book i want to call out is we do this till we free us um which is like very ex- more explicitly around like prison abolition um, 
um, by Miriam Kaba. Uh, and that book just like radically shifted what I thought was possible. And like, I think like she inspired me to like really put energy, like, and like make space to like, uh, like to continue to dream, like to like make space specifically, like to build systems outside of our systems. Like I think cap capitalism and white supremacy works in a way to like suppress our dreams. Um, and like to get us like to trapped into like, um, these systems and I think like intentionally building spaces for people and like providing like shelter and I mean shelter like in terms of like financial resources for people do have the space to like constantly like cranking through the systems of capitalism and white supremacy like to like build what we know we need in this world like that is so important that more people have time and space to do that um so after off also offer that like piece of literature as um like foundational to like how I think about the world right now yeah absolutely we there, there's going to be a lot of wonderful additional links I feel from this yeah, episode books, books. we're super proud to work with Subaru this year to bring the trail ahead to life not only because we love adventure in the Subaru Outback Wilderness, but also because we know that we share core beliefs and values with Subaru, which is evident in their partnerships. Subaru is the largest corporate sponsor of the National Parks Foundation and has provided over $68 million to organizations working to preserve our parks to help fund efforts such as recycling, composting, and waste reduction operations. This season, we really want to highlight community organizations that are as serious as Subaru is about getting outside to have fun in the places we love and to protect them and make them more accessible for others. To help continue to make this happen, Subaru is also involved in the National Park Foundation's Park Ventures Initiative, which addresses obstacles that have hindered individuals and communities from having authentic and joyful national park experiences by eliminating barriers, promoting access, and cultivating connection to the social, mental, and physical health benefits of parks. Inclusive of Subaru's support, the inaugural grant cycle provided over 1.1 million in funding for 58 projects across the country. A few of the efforts that are part of the Park Ventures initiatives include Outdoor Outreach's Climbing Over Barriers program, which increases access to, awareness of, and stewardship of Joshua Tree National Park through rock climbing. Also, the Ancestral Lands Conservation Corps, whose crews work on critical projects that support the protection of the sacred resources within Petroglyph National Monument and their Indigenous families stay at the monument. There's also the Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation's efforts to enhance its Kids in Parks program with initiatives for Spanish-speaking audiences in partnership with Hispanic Access Fund. And there's so much more. To find out more about Park Ventures and how you can get involved in local opportunities, check out www.nationalparks.org. We love partnering with folks that care as much about environmental advocacy and inclusivity in the outdoors as we do. Thanks, Subaru. I'd love to ask you about rest and about your practice around rest and how you've come to include that as a part of your life and a part of your day to day and even your adventures in the outdoors. I loved the image of you also not only testing your brakes, riding a bike, but also <laughs> laying in the grass and you know, looking up at the sun and, and smiling and enjoying the moment. So I think it's interesting because we so often 
the outdoors. And this honestly goes back to like who defines success in the outdoors and the whiteness of definitions of success in the outdoors. But, you know, there's this sense of movement or sense of like, like conquering, honestly, it's so colonial in that way, like kind of conquering peaks or, you know, summiting something. But what about resting? And what about having that as a practice, you know, as it relates to nature, as it relates to the outdoors? Yeah. Um, thank you for this. Uh, and I think I actually, yeah, I think I want to call it rest, um, for me specifically, and I'll talk about why, um, I think what I am more excited about is choice. Um, I think one of the, what I see as like an indicator of freedom in this lifetime for people, for myself and potentially for other people is that, um, we have choice over how we use our time. Like, I think, if you are set up well in the society and that means you have like financial stability um, and like housing um, and access to healthcare, you get to have t- freedom of time, which I think is really important. Um, and that's something that I'm experiencing right now, like freedom of time. And with that time, what I want is choice, like choice to be like, Oh, I want to work right now. I don't want to work right now. Like I would want to go on my, like ride my bike right now. I don't want to ride my bike right now. Like choices like that. Um, and so I don't, yeah, I don't think about it as rest anymore because uh, I had this really interesting, I took a week off of work, I think like two years ago, and I was talking to my therapist about it and they're like, oh, what are you going to do? I was like, oh, I'm going to ride my bike up all these hills that I've been wanting to do. And then I'm going to do this other activity that I want to be wanting to do. Um, and I think it gets me the same thing that rest does, which like rest for me, the way that I think about it is like, oh, this is time that I don't have to do what I'm obligated to do. I think about rest as um time away from work and so choice also gets me there just like having choice over that time and I think specifically for me choice is what I'm really after because yeah like how I choose to rejuvenate in this world is like I'm gonna go on bike rides or like spend time outside or like with people that I love um like it can look like laying down literally like resting and laying down or like taking a nap but I think for me like adventuring, like learning new things is rejuvenating for me. I think about rest as like, what gives my brain a break? What gives my brain a break away from like thinking about all the injustices in the world and like constantly be in problem solving mode around that. And for me, that's like, yeah, time outside, reading books. Like I really love, it feels really rejuvenating to read like sci-fi and like also like books around like abolition and like people who are like dreaming about different futures I think that just like provides me some like oh right just because it was doesn't mean it has to be and that provides a lot of rejuvenation for me but I do yeah I think similar to like the conversation we were having around bravery bravery like what it looks like to the outside world and how it shows up for me can be different um and I think what people might see for rest as rest, like actually it's just like choice for me and like how I interpret and feel it in my body. Yeah, I I really (laughs) appreciate that. And um, you made me think about the word intentionality um, because I feel like there are certain words that I love and they sometimes become buzzwords and I'm like sad because it, it almost makes them lose some of their like import. Like everything can't be intentional. Like it can, but it like everything doesn't even be described as intentional. But I feel like when I'm talking to you, it's intentionality is not just a buzzword. It feels like something that you 
have been thinking about and writing about and practicing. Um, I just wonder, even if that's the, the word that you'd use, but like how you've been able to, or why it's important for you to, like, if I'm understanding this correctly, like, slow down and look at the thing mm. and write about the thing and spend time with the thing and then like live into the thing. I love that framing. Uh, well, I would be remiss if I don't give a shout out to my Zodiac sign, which is a Scorpio. So I absolutely feel everything in this oh. world, like very intensely. Um, shout out to Scorpios. Me too. Give a shout out to a Scorpio. Are you really? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) But I think like such a deep, deep feeler. Like I feel everything. The wind's blowing and I'm like falling apart. No, I'm just kidding. But like, I think because I have, I feel so much, I've had to like figure out a way to like not have it overwhelm me. Um, like I used to get crushed by my feelings like someone like someone would cut me off and I would just get so sad and like fall apart in traffic I'm like girl this is not sustainable so I've had to like figure out some ways um to like yeah not my let my feelings like both of like like just like personal things that have happened but like just like taking the whole weight of the systems that we live on upon myself to fix um in a way that I've been able to do that is to just get more specific and more intentional and I think and this this is not a thought of my own but I can't like give credit to anyone specific because I think it's come through a lot of the readings that I've done it's like in order to like address a problem or like to address an injustice we got to be very clear about what it is and like be able to name the thing before you can fight the thing um and so in writing, writing for me, like both like journaling and like writing as a practice to support folks and like being reflected and validated, writing has been like key and getting really clear on what it is that I'm trying to like fight for in this world and the space that I'm trying to create, like both for myself and other people. Um, and like journaling about who I am as a person, like I've just gotten clearer and clearer over time about like, oh, this is who I am and this is who I'm not. Um, and, but I think it all relates to just like who, like how overwhelmed I can get by like the problems in this world. Like I could spin out for days and have done it. Don't recommend it, but can spin out about like, oh my gosh, well, there's this problem and there's this one. And like, here's a barrier, here's a barrier. And instead of doing that, I'm like, okay, like, let me write about it. Let me get like clearer and clearer about like what are the specific skill sets and ideas and energies that I can bring to like solve these issues in the world um, has really, really helped me just get like more specific um, and just not get kind of um, stuck in the overwhelm. And I also credit, uh, I'll have to look up this person's name, but the Building Movement Project um, put out this tool, the social change ecosystem map um by deepa ira ira perhaps i, I think it's um, i-e-r i-y-e-r yeah you're very game familiar changer. game yeah. changer that yeah. thing deepa ir like early in the pandemic after the murder of george floyd um there was a lot of protests happening in oakland and i really wanted to be at the protest but like a part of me really didn't for several reasons um i won't get into all of them but like a main one was like I am just, I'm deeply introverted and like have a ton of social anxiety. 
Um, and so I was like beating myself up for not wanting to be out in the streets, but um, also like, oh my gosh, if I like the thought of like going out in the streets would just like overwhelm me. And then, so it was just like this constant struggle. And I was, this tool was introduced to me. I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's okay if I don't want to be out there. Like I have the, all these other skill sets that would actually like support me in showing up better to a movement rather than like forcing myself to do things that like are not like who I am and like would actually like just like be more of a burden to me and the runs around me and so I think like using tools like that to be like okay I really love paperwork <laughs> like I will like be like a paperwork movement auntie you know like I will like make sure that we have like our like the funding in place to do the work that we need to do I think like tools like that that like and assessments that help us get clear on like who we are and like what we offer to movements like have been so helpful for me because I think it's often like like the the idea that we like burn out in movements is often um communicated and that's just like not sustainable or realistic like we can't do it all and we shouldn't be doing it all and there's so much power in delegation and like just being more intentional about like who you are and what you have to offer rather than like forcing yourself to do these things that aren't part of what you bring into the world if that makes sense yeah what are the different kinds of writing you've been doing because I know you've also gone to a writer's retreat and maybe you've been writing in these like different ways too yeah well I rage right now I'm just kidding uh, I do rage right <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how I first got into writing because yeah I feel a lot of things and like I often get really upset and like for me like it comes out I'm like I'm just gonna write it down so like images of me like profusely writing like <laughs> scribbling on a piece of paper are accurate um and then like once I realize I'm like oh writing for you is the best way to communicate like if I'm ever if I ever need to communicate something I often put it in writing just because it's it's like more it's easier for me and it also like allows me to like be stronger in what I need to say. I think sometimes when I'm, and of course there's always a time and a place to like do things like in person um, verbally. Um, but I think if there's an opportunity for me to write it down first, um, it's often um, more true and like more precise. Um, and I don't like shy away from what I know needs to be communicated. Um, so I think once I realized that other ways of, um, writing in addition to rage writing opened up for me um so some other writings I've been doing um yeah I work like predominantly with like nonprofit organizations um and I've been trying to write about my experiences because I don't think there's enough I don't think there can ever be enough like writing from like black folks from queer folks about like our experiences in the nonprofit world and like navigating some of these things I think um the nonprofit world and just the world in general does a really good job of like isolating us oh well capitalism I think it does a really good job of isolating us and making us believe that our experiences are like just ours and like so unique that like no one would understand um when in fact like especially as like black folks in this world it's like oh you are not alone in this experiencing experiencing this um and don't let people like gaslight you into thinking that you're alone and experiencing this so I've been writing for black folks a lot of like hey, like this, it's not just in your head, like these things that you're experiencing, like these things are systemic, these things are um, by design. Um, and here are some like other ways to think about it, or just like to validate people in that experience. I've been writing a lot around that. Um, yeah, and right now I'm like, 
on the precipice, I love any chance I get to use that word, um, of putting a project out into the world um, that might take form in an organization. So I've been doing a lot of writing um, about this project and like wanting to be very intentional about like what it is and what it isn't. Um, and so writing for it and around it has allowed me to just get clear and clear about what it is and what it isn't, um, which has been super helpful. Well, I also love the word precipice. I'll ask you a question about community because I think, um, you know, Addie and I consider ourselves to be a part of an outdoor community. And I feel like there have been different times where I've been really frustrated by that as an idea. I'm like, is it a community? If there's no community agreements, like it's Instagram. Yeah. You know, but, um, but still, <laughs> I think there have been efforts Um to create an inclusive community that is supportive and is like growing and is changing. And I do feel like a lot of the work that you've done behind the scenes, in person, et cetera, is a contribution to that, the ideal of that space. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about how you feel involved in that? Feelings about outdoor community have shifted so much, um, in these past few years but what I what I will say is what what I think is important to me about community at this point in my life is like just like the deep deep values alignment like I don't really care about activities that people like to do anymore and I use that like out activities <laughs> talking about things that people like to do outside um because like I yeah, it's important for me to be on my bike. But again, I can do that by myself. It's important for me to spend time outside, but that's something I can do by myself. Like what's really important to me um, is like people's values around like creating like radically thriving and like sustainable environments for people to live in. Like I think underscoring um, my ability to be outside and like my ability to like work in the ways that I do is like that I have access to like housing and I have access to like living wages and I have access um, to like healthcare. Like I think I am only trying to build people community with people who like hold those values and like are working towards building a world where like black people or indigenous people and other people of color get to experience freedom in their lifetime, like beyond like climbing and like beyond cycling. And I think the longer I was like in the like, like more like center, like in the more like center of the outdoor world, I was like, Oh, like your values, like outside of this work do not align with mine. I'm no longer interested in like recreating with you all. Like, sure like if you care about like more folks of color like skiing cool but like what do you think about like the state sanctioned violence against black people outside of this sport like if you cannot align with me and like be like fighting for that against that in this world with me then I don't need to spend time outside with you and so I think it just has radically shifted over time because I kept finding that like people thought about outdoor recreation and like the outdoor industry as like this like insular thing that like was like unattached to like other systems in this world and that was like so frustrating for me that I like slowly started to like backtrack from that world um and now like I do have like a lot of folks in my life who like 
have that values alignment and also like to be outside, which is wonderful. But I wouldn't say I'm part of the outdoor community because like for me, that has not been like people who are aligned with me and values and like believed and like are fighting for my rights as a black queer person in this world. That makes a lot of sense. And I think people need to hear that too, that it's not the assumed uh, shared values of like loving, you know, the planet that get put on everyone because of the outdoorness of it all isn't like enough. Right. Um, Right. And I think more broadly, like, I feel like there's this separate for in the outdoor like an environmental space like when people say they like fight for the planet like often exclude humans from that which I think is like a very white colonized, mm-hmm. colonized way of thinking about things and so yeah I think like you were saying like that value of like you care about the planet so like yeah there's an assumption of people in that and it's not the case always um mm-hmm. I think that's been a huge realization for me We also just wanted to ask if you had anything else you wanted to add or if we didn't touch on anything today um, that you'd like to talk about. Um, No, this is so good. Yeah, I feel like my brain, and this is a good thing, is spinning out right now. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, time to write. Um, But yeah, I don't think so. I think um, I'm just really excited. Oh, yeah, I think that the, the thing that's big for me right now and that I would like to share is like, I'm so excited to like just... I think when PGM1 taught me so many things and the biggest lesson that I took from it is that like, it is so important to build what you're for and not what you're for, not what you're against. Like, I think in the beginning, like I was building in response to whiteness, but it's like, oh, what if I just build for people of color? And like, what does it look like to define ourselves just for who we are and not in our relationship to whiteness and like decentering whiteness as much as possible? Um, And right now I'm like so excited just to build for black folks and like build in a way that is like so like true and like genuine and like sweet to like our needs and this world and not in relationship to like what whiteness and like other systems have put on us. Um, And I just encourage more people to like, to like, yeah, I think like the, the the idea of like the seat at the table, it's like, no, like, let's just build what we know we need in this world um, and like focus on like the possibilities out of these systems that exist. Like there's so much we could be doing and like so much brilliance um, that these like white institutions and organizations like couldn't even fathom. Um, and so I'm just, yeah, I just feel so excited and like, really delighted to like encourage people um to put energy towards the ideas and projects and thoughts that they have that like are mind-blowing even to themselves like sometimes I'm like thinking about like what I want to do in this world I'm like whoa Grace like that would be wild and like I just want to build towards that I'm just a huge fan of subverting literally everything that doesn't serve us um And like, want to encourage more people to do that. And then, yeah, I like always like to offer myself up as a resource for black folks, specifically like women, queer people, trans folks, non-binary folks, like happy, like to like talk about these things and like to talk about ways to like build um, in ways that serve us and like support us thriving in this world. So if you're black and you're listening to this and you identify as a woman and 
trans, as queer, as non-binary, then like, please get in touch. I'd be more excited, more than excited to like make time to connect with you and to like, yeah, like dream some shit up together um, and then like put it out into the world. I love that. Grace, thank you so much for being here with us today. I feel like part of the title of this episode needs to be dreaming some shit up. Dream some shit up together. (laughs) (laughs) That feels really good. (laughs) Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Grace Anderson for joining us on the trail ahead. You can find her on Instagram at amaze underscore me underscore grace and on her website, graceanderson.co. You can find additional links in the show notes. Tune in now to The Debrief, where Faith and I dive deeper into one of the topics that came up on this episode. I'm glad we're back to The Debrief. We didn't have one on our first episode on purpose. I wanted to ask you, Faith, in this debrief today, there was something that came up in Grace's conversation that was pretty was pretty briefly mentioned, but I really wanted to dive into it a little bit deeper. Um, it was something that you mentioned to me a while back when we were first starting to have our conversations in in and around this topic area about about safety in general, feeling safe in outdoor spaces as a black person. Um, and specifically grace goes into enslaved people being chased or running through outdoor spaces, like the woods, like the trees kind of thing. I kind of felt like my, my, my mind was, was really expanded in this way when we started talking about this, because I had never, thought about this topic. And so I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about this. And if you had had felt similar experiences or had similar kind of historical context that you could share with listeners around this, I know it's a big topic, but um, yeah, I wanted to dive in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this topic is something that has come up a lot in different literature I've read, and it makes a lot of sense to me not just as a Black person, I think it's something that a lot of BIPOC folks and folks of color have had these or continue to experience um, these levels of discomfort when either in outdoor rural places, maybe places that they know surrounding those areas are majority white spaces. I think it's um, a degree of what you might feel as a woman sometimes walking around at night in a place you don't know and being like, shit, could something happen to me here? Right. There's like a, yeah. based on the culture that we live in, there is a fear of um, attack and sexual assault that I think women often navigate the world with um, that maybe isn't something you think about at every moment of every day, but is certainly something that um, is ingrained in you either culturally or through media or through news stories and things like that. So I can speak, you know, from my experience as a black person and then also, so like including my, you know, my own personal family history, but also I was an African-American studies major and film major in undergrad. And then I've also read a lot. I think, you know, Dr. Finney's book, Black Faces, White Spaces, but also a lot of um, Dr. Dorsetta Taylor talks about some of these things. But yeah, I think essentially, you know, it goes back 
to so many different topics that we talk about. But one that I'll mention is like the gatekeeping conversation where people get upset where they're like, well, my family's been coming here. Like what we came here with my grandpa, my great grandfather, like back in the day. And I, to myself, I know I've said this to you before, I'll laugh and be like, oh yeah, what was my great grandfather doing at that time? Mm. Yeah, You know, because when you think about like privilege in that way, we didn't have access to the same spaces. But I think what immediately came up for me um, is Billie, Billie Holiday's song, Strange Fruit, which you know, maybe some folks are not familiar with it. Um, it was released in 1939 um, when lynchings were hugely popular in the United States. It's essentially extrajudicial killings that were happening of Black people, especially big in the 30s and 40s, um, because we were living under Jim Crow laws and basically anything could be used as an excuse to lynch a Black person. And most often that happened with um, capturing a black person, hanging them from a tree. Um, often it was a public spectacle. People took pictures. Those pictures were sold. People actually bought pieces of body parts, um, sometimes that had been burned uh, or removed from a person. Um, and that's a huge part of American history that we don't hear about. And Billie Holiday's song, Strange Fruit, the lyrics, the beginning are, Southern trees bear a strange fruit blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from poplar trees. Um, And she's talking about lynching. Um, And that, you know, it was a a controversial song when she sang it. Um, It was also a really important song for Black Americans to have that lynching be talked about um, and recognized. And, And, you know, we're talking about trees, right? She's she's um, mentioning, uh, you know, poplar trees and trees in general, right? And so, you know, there are, I have this thing I get frustrated about where when Black movies do the best, often it's when they're um, set in the past, set during mm. slavery or set. It's not talking about current racism, because that's uncomfortable, but yeah. we're comfortable talking about racism in the past. Um, so we'll talk about like the civil rights movement or we'll talk about slavery, um, but we won't talk about the ongoing residual racism. But even in those those films, you see slaves running away to freedom and often being chased, right? Bloodhound mm-hmm. dogs, other things. And one of the things that's not talked about very often, and maybe this is a huge tangent, but Harriet Tubman was a big naturalist. Um, mm. And a lot of the ways where she was showing people to run away from freedom were learning about the natural world, how to follow the North Star, how to cover your tracks by going through water, how to look at which direction moss was growing on trees in order to get to certain places, wow. how to try to blend in, how to move at night through the forest, um, what could possibly be eaten that was edible along the way when you couldn't get any other kind of food? Um, What are maybe natural remedies for blisters and other things that were going to happen along the way on this journey to freedom? Um, But for Black Americans, you know, the forests historically are places that could be really dangerous. Um, And if a Black person was found out alone, they could be lynched with no question. Black people were lynched not because they actually did things sometimes. Sometimes successful Black entrepreneurs 
were lynched because they either had the audacity to try to open a store or buy a property, or they had audacity to have their farm do better than the white farmer down the street. Um, you know, the massacre in, in Tulsa, which a lot of people did not know about until more recent media um, brought it to people's attention. This is the 2022 is the 100 years since um, the um, Greenwood massacre, where much of Tulsa was set on fire in the area that was called Black Wall Street because black people were prospering too much and it was a threat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of times the excuse of those things was something like, um, oh, this person in the, in the example of Emmett Till, this person whistled at a white woman or this person did this thing. And very often those were made up um, or they weren't real things that had happened, but they were excuses to try to stop black, black prosperity. And bodies were also often found in these places, um, whether it was, you know, tied to change and thrown in a river. And there was very little, if at all, um, uh, accountability in those things, yeah. even if everyone knew um, no one was held um, accountable. And so if you think of that as the history as early as the 40s, um, to get to a place where you're going camping, especially yeah. doing that by, by yourself, like my grandfather, uh, my grandfather's on both sides of my family, but on my black side of my family, fished and hunted with hunting dogs, um, but didn't camp that wasn't a thing that was happening. Like, you know, we're coming from a history of sundown towns, towns where black Americans were um, in danger if they were in the town after sundown, like you're not supposed to be here. Um, so to be out camping in the woods um, is really not something by that- By choice and- By choice. Recreation, yeah. Yeah, it's just something that culturally- it takes a few generations to get to a place where that kind of safety might be there. And still, like I've said this before, but I've gone out, you know, um, camping and fishing with um, one of my closest friends who's Viet. And we have like been like, I know this is uncomfortable, but take the left up by the Confederate flag. And then you go about a mile more and our campsite's going to be up there, but you might not have service when we get up there. Oh, um, yeah. I would never do that on my own. And even us as two women of color, it's still, it's something that I think we get used to living in Oregon. Um, but there are definitely places in this state that I would not camp by myself, you know. And I've um, the places where I have um, slept in my car by myself, I'm much more likely to sleep in my car by myself than I am to pitch a tent by myself um, be because of fear. Um, and that fear comes from a lot of different places. So when Grace was saying that, it was definitely um, resonating with me uh, on a personal level and on a historic level. Um, also knowing that context of trying to figure out how, you know, so many people who are my generation, millennial, who are people of color, who are exploring outside on their own, um, are really um, interrupting uh, generational cycles and really having to, I think it's important to note there's a reconnection happening, right? When I talk about Harriet Tubman being a naturalist, uh, black people, our blood is in this soil in a completely different way. Um, we planted the food. We taught a lot of the white farmers how to do 
a lot of the farming that was happening here, some because of traditions that were brought from the African continent from which we were stolen and brought across um, the oceans through the Atlantic slave trade, um, and some that were learned from the indigenous folks that had been here long before settlers um, showed up. Um, But I think that that connection and knowledge that people of color have with the land is a really important thing that um, so I think there's a there's a reconnection happening, but yeah, that fear um, is very real, very prevalent, and something that I've definitely heard talked about before. And I think whether or not I know it, and I think about it consciously, it's something that's there on a cellular level when I'm out in some of the places where I go in order to recreate and have that sense of freedom that Grace also talks about. So she talks about both, like feeling. I think she says something about finding the edges of her, of who she is and of her freedom while outside within knowing the context and the reality of um, what that has meant historically and continues to mean in a lot of places um, in this country and I would say around the world. Yeah, thank you so much, Faith, for for walking us all through that. I, I know I knew this debrief was going to be a little bit different than some of ours just because I really wanted to hear more about the context and the knowledge that you have. Um, and thank you for being, being willing to share that and to walk us through that. I think, um, I mean, obviously it's a lot, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to hear. It's also a true thing that happened. And all of the context you shared is still with us today. Like it is, it cannot be ignored. And so, um, I remember when you started talking to me about that a long time ago, you know, in our friendship kind of few years back, it just, uh, had not occurred to me. Again, these are things that I've learned so much from our conversations. And of course, of course, this is an underlying context to all of these conversations that, again, is inextricably linked to talking about representation and inclusion in outdoor spaces, feeling welcome, feeling safe, feeling like going and recreating in these spaces is possible for some folks because of this context. So, I just, again, really appreciate your like bringing in all of the knowledge you have around this and and sharing it with us because I think it's something that isn't talked about a lot. And yet I'm grateful to Grace also for touching on it in her part of the episode too. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that as I'm thinking about it, I think is important because I was thinking about, you know, I was creating this image in my head of like saying like, yeah, my grandfather didn't go camping and I'm like I'm gonna call my dad after this and be like outside of a summer camp like did you and your brothers ever go like on an overnight fishing trip with your dad or anything like that because my dad's one of of six um but I think you know as I think about that and it's like a really beautiful image in my head because Briggs is you know (laughs) uh my maiden name like we look alike we laugh alike I'm thinking about all my uncles like big laughs and um everyone knows they're like oh that's a Briggs (laughs) um and so to me there's a really beautiful image like of taking you know what happens at a family reunion like to lakeside or around a campfire and it's something I don't know has ever happened and part of that is because loitering is something that was criminalized for black people after slavery the economy which had relied on free black labor was ruined for white Southerners. And what they needed to do was get the cheapest labor they could immediately. And so black people were required to be working often, or 
if they were quote unquote loitering, they could be jailed and then forced to work through prison labor. And so loitering, like just hanging out on the street or having a picnic or a cookout or something like that is something that has been criminalized for a long time for Black people in this country. And when you look at the ongoing police brutality and the idea of Black people either hanging out somewhere, you know, being criminalized, well, well, they were selling drugs. Well, what was he doing there outside of that convenience store in the first place? You know, on these events, bird watching, you know, being yelled at for bird watching in the park and that becoming the Black person's fault in some way. So there's a long history of our leisure being also criminalized or um, demonized in some way. And that has its roots in trying to continue to have the economy um, dependent on free or very cheap black labor, which is how sharecropping came to be, which was after the end of slavery. You had all these black people that knew how to farm, et cetera, but they were often tied to land um, where they were renting at exorbitant prices, um, having uh, seed or animal feed or all these things given to them at exorbitant prices. They were then indebted to either the landowner or the general store or something like that. And so the cycle of continuing to have the economy um, dependent on free or cheap black labor, um, I think it, it goes back directly ties to the ability to recreate out on land. Um, I would imagine, I don't know, and I'll look up more, but I'm, I would imagine that that would have been criminalized um, as well, you know, during slavery, very often Sunday was the only time that slaves were able to congregate on their own for religious purposes. And a lot of times they were able to sell like additional vegetables and things that they were growing for themselves on those Sunday markets. And so there's a cool history of entrepreneurship in spite of all of the ways in which um, leisure was criminalized for Black people. And so I think there's it's just another reason why this history of Black recreation, uh, particularly in potentially unsafe spaces, has to be so hard fought for, for people trying to live that life now. So I think- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just like what Grace was saying about like, it's, it's amazing. Like to think of her, like I asked her, I was like, do you feel brave? Because it does feel really brave, brave to me. It's pretty incredible to hear her talk about that. Yeah. And I was going to, yeah, exactly. I was going to say like also hard fought for and also I want to celebrate now. We want to celebrate and we need to celebrate because I think it's awesome to see these folks doing these things. And yet, like, can't we can't ignore the con- contextual past and the history that you just shared because I, I think that's such a key piece to this conversation too. So again, thank you for... Thank you for sharing all that. And I know that sounds sounds like we have a lot of links to, <laughs> to share yeah, well. too. Um, and again, I know like for folks listening, it is a lot. And I really encourage you to, and all of us to like, again, reach out. Let's talk more about this. Let's have this dialogue. Um, Faith and I are have an ongoing dialogue. Sometimes we record it. Sometimes we don't. We're continuously talking and we want you to be in that too. So please do reach out to us if you want to continue to learn more and and um thanks faith again for for laying everything out and for sharing all of that today totally yeah we'll put links in the show notes and uh we'll see you next time on the trail ahead the trail ahead is created produced and hosted by us faith e briggs and addie thompson ryan thrower is our editor and sound designer 
podcast art is by Shar Tuiasawa. Check her out on Instagram at Punky Aloha. And special thanks to the amazing team at Subaru. Thanks also to our team on the visual side. Our videos are filmed by Whitney Hassett and are edited by Jillian Sarau at Cartel TV. Our still images are captured by Bree Lakin. For updates and additional links, visit trailaheadpodcast.com. You can also leave us a voicemail there. If you like what you hear, please send us a note via Instagram at at trailahead underscore podcast and subscribe. Please also consider checking out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the trailahead. Thank you for listening and for spreading the word. Don't forget to check out the video profiles we make about each of our guests. And to all of our incredible guests, thank you. You make the world better. See you next episode.